photography lovers and welcome to the Passion Photography Podcast with me, Virginia. And today it's time for part three of our interview with the amazing Amber Gray. If you haven't heard part one and part two, you can go to photographypodcast.net and there you're going to find the first two parts and also a little preview of my guest's work. Some of the topics today are, does your look matter to your client? And yeah, I know it's strange, but it could be something very important for your client, so you want to hear more about it, and especially about our guest appearance. What are the key points to her signature style is another thing that we are going to discuss today. And in addition to that, how to create chemistry on your sets. Another story that Amber is going to share today is how Dior funded one of her projects and what were the problems and the best parts about it. Before the start of the interview, I want to remind you about our friends from Shoestring Magazine. Take a look at their website in the show notes and if you want to, you can submit your beauty or fashion work. And now it's time for a podcast. At the first part of the podcast, you said that you had a very weird look at the very beginning of your career. Yeah. What about now? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've given up. I definitely like vintage stuff. I am sort of a hippie at heart. I'm a vegan and I love recycling shit and I love animals and I have long red hair. So I'm definitely probably not what people are expecting when they hire a fashion photographer in New York City. I think people want to see a bony European man. <laughs> that's really like, I feel like, and that's what our, our assistants have shown me that, that people will come in and just walk straight up to the Swedish assistant and start asking him questions as if he's the photographer. I think there's some pictures of me floating around. I'm an average looking lady with sort of eclectic tastes and clothing and accessories. Do you want to share with us about the art projects that you're doing and what was the most amazing part for you when you started, apart from this big breakthrough that you had in the beginning? For advertising, we got a really interesting video shoot for Shiseido about two years ago. And the idea was so cool. And it was this like surreal, like a jewel box that this weird woman was supposed to live in. And because it, they were talking about Rouge Rouge, which is a line of lipsticks, this weird woman who was an oracle would read your fortune and tell you which color of lipstick you should wear. And the concept was so interesting and so dark and strange. We were super excited about doing it. We had a costume designer that I love make special hats. And basically, you couldn't see her eyes because as an oracle, she was supposed to be blind. Mm-hmm. Right after we did that, Shiseido really curtailed their creative advertising and went very mainstream, clean, bright, whatever. But this was, I feel like this is like the kind of like the last hurrah because Serge Lutens used to be for a long time their creative director and he had sort of guided the brand. I don't know if you know of Serge Lutens, the French photographer. He was the creative director for Shiseido for many years. Mm -hmm. Their aesthetic was definitely like I was, I used to just stare at Serge. I, I saved Serge Luton's um, pictures from magazines and I, I had his book. I have his book. And I was just obsessed with this very austere, perfect, distant, like the women were always so distant. Anyway, so I, I was super excited to do something not exactly like that, but with that sense of severe austerity, we did it. And it, it came out cute, but I think 
because of the way that the company was going, they posted, I think, on social media, but they never, it never became a TV commercial or anything that we mm-hmm. had hoped that it would. That was definitely one of the most daring commercial projects that we've had in recent recollection. We also did something for Nespresso in Milan, which was super cool. They wanted to do like a modern Marie Antoinette. And I, I love Marie Antoinette and I love that whole Rococo crazy aesthetic. We got to shoot in a mansion and that was pretty cool as well. But for commercial, I mean, that's the thing. Commercial stuff is generally pretty low key compared to the stuff that we do for editorial and for personal projects. And your personal project, I see lots and lots of wide angle lenses. Am I right? I love super wide lenses. When was the moment you realized that you don't need to follow the rules? I never really knew. <laughs> I never knew there were rules, but also I come from sort of, um, I, I wouldn't say punk in terms of my personal style necessarily, but a punk mentality where if I didn't like something, I would just do what I wanted. Or if someone told me not to do something, I would just do it anyway, which Julian and I have had many long standing debates about whether or not <laughs> that's a great way to look at life. Just if someone tells you not to do something, just do it anyway. Like, who do you think you are? But I feel like that's always been my mentality and I, I ne it never like occurred to me that there was a way that you have to do things. I would just do things however I wanted to do them. And then that may not lead to success. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I'm sure if I would have followed the rules, perhaps I could have gotten further faster, but I don't know if there would be any point. Like if, if, I, if I could be shooting Macy's catalogs every day, I think I'd probably just kill myself. I wanted to talk to you about the chemistry on your sets because it's so obvious. Sometimes, even most of the times, you're shooting more than two people on a set. And I don't know, for example, if they know each other, but let's, let's talk about particular project. There is a project on your website, which is called Backyard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are two people. A girl and a boy. And they're just so, I don't know. I mean, they're not intimate, but their interaction is just so amazing. Do you want to tell us more about this? Yeah, that was a music video that I did for Victoria Monet, who she's actually the songwriter for Ariana Grande. Mm -hmm. She's in all of her videos. She's great. She's like one of the sweetest, most genuine people we've ever worked with. But she was doing a couple of videos. And we had this idea of her being sort of in this almost like a junkyard, like abandoned sort of parking lot that was overgrown and we found this car at a junkyard and we spray painted crazy stuff all over it. And we lit the forest with black lights. It was sort of like rave forest with a bunch of weird kids hanging out in the bushes. Weirdly, I found this hobby horse. It was like what kids play on the, the horses with the springs. And we kept, <laughs> we thought it was funny to make the extras ride on it. And we thought it was like really creepy, especially in slow motion. Why would an adult be riding a hobby horse in the bushes at night? <laughs> the thing you're talking about is that we had the girl that you're talking about blowing smoke into the guy's mouth. And the guy was, I don't, I guess I could say this, he's super gay. Like I don't, there was no sexual <laughs> chemistry between the two. I feel like maybe that was part of why the girl felt so comfortable being all over him. Mm -hmm. Because if she felt like he was enjoying it too much, it might have been too awkward. Yeah. I think she felt super comfortable with him and he was super funny and they, they were joking around a lot. So I think it probably came off as sexier than it actually was. <laughs> and on so many of your photos, 
you're in some amazing locations. Yeah. How is this happening? I'm crazy for traveling and I, I love traveling and I often find pictures of places and I'll just put it in my reference folder as keep in mind. So if I have an opportunity to pitch this to someone, I mean, that's kind of, that is a big part of what I do is pitch things to people and convince them that we need to do this. So we went to Morocco. We did a shoot in this. I, I actually had seen this picture of this marble. It looked like a crazy double story high mausoleum almost metal work and it was everything was pure white and I found out it was in a fancy hotel in Marrakesh and I had it in my reference folder for a really long time and then we were shooting for a magazine from Dubai and I just thought because Dubai has such a specific reputation I mean I don't think that everyone in Dubai is extremely rich but that's their sales pitches we're all rich here so I thought if we are shooting for this magazine from Dubai I might be able to leverage that to get a location to let us shoot there for free. So I contacted the place in Marrakesh and explained what we were doing. And they said they needed to talk to the magazine, whatever. So they somehow worked it out with the magazine and we got to go there and shoot in this crazy... The hotel was owned by the king of Morocco and it was seven or seven or eight thousand dollars a night. Got our own Riyadh, which was like a two or three story building with a pool in the middle. And we were there for three nights and four days. And then my partner and I stayed in Marrakesh for another four or five days after that on our own. But just because of the press that, that they would be getting from a magazine in Dubai, I think in their mind, people in Dubai would pay $8,000 a night to come stay in our hotel. So it was worth it for them to let us stay there, shoot there, and basically, we shot an editorial, but since it was set in, in their amazing location, perhaps inspiring people to go book a room there or have their wedding there or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. But I mean, also just having intense interest in locations and like some of them were free. There's just, it's just a matter of scouting things and being always, you know, on the lookout for something that's beautiful and accessible. The thing that we did with the glass boxes, those were, we didn't pay for any of those locations partially because we're from that area. There were places that I've known about and gone to since I was young that I always wanted to shoot in and was just waiting for an opportunity that was worth the amount of effort because they are pretty remote. You said that you're building your own sets. What was the most difficult set that you've made? Well, there was one time, this was a while ago, but we had this idea. I wanted a staircase that went straight up. I did not realize how hard it was to build a staircase until we built that staircase. And we, we also, because it was so steep, we couldn't use standard, the staircase stringers. We had to make special ones that were super steep. And then also, because it had no rails on the side of it, when you were walking up and down it, it was really dangerous. And it was, it was just gigantic. And the studio that we were shooting in let us come in the day before to work on it. And we had no idea that it was going to take us 15 hours to make it or something. I remember the guy from the studio coming in at like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock going like, oh my God, are you guys still working on this? Like, when are you getting out of here? You said you'd be here for a few hours and it's been 14 hours. That was like just a huge undertaking that I have not done it since then. And it's something that if, you, if I hired a set builder to make would have probably been $10,000 because it was such a pain in the butt to make. And it was just you and your boy doing it? Yeah, yeah. 
but you're very good at this. You have a lot of smoke on your photos. <laughs> yeah. Wide angles, crazy ideas, a lot of smoke. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love I love atmosphere. And yeah, there's so many scenes where I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know what this needs? Just needs a little smoke. It just adds something extra to it. And I just, I love it. While we are on this topic, what about additional objects? For example, you have moving image on your website with an Asian girl. Hijang. A lot of times I do stuff with sort of optical illusions and mirrors, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, where I think just having a straight camera looking at a straight scene is like not enough for me anymore. So I love looking through things and reflections of things. And so sometimes we shoot through glass or crystals or facets. We have a whole collection of things that we can shoot through if we feel like the scene needs something else. That was something that I have been doing for a really long time. And, and now I think there are some filters that do it. And I feel like it's almost cliche at this point, but I still do love the effect. Basically, it just it's shooting through different types of glass. Because you said that you don't like straightforward photos. And at the same time, one of the parts of your show reel is just amazing. Two girls sitting, I think it's in a car next to each other. Oh, yeah. And they're yeah. just looking at the camera. It's just so amazing. I love it so much. Thank you. And I have another one that I'm truly in love with. It looks like it's in a garden. The camera is going straight forward and it's like going through a mirror. Dior. Yeah. yeah. There was an editorial that was basically sponsored by Dior. And we went to the Japanese tea garden in San Francisco which is something that I had always, when I was in school, I would always go there and do shoots with my friends. The thing with the mirror that you're talking about, it's, it's not a mirror. I know, but it looks like, and it's so amazing. That's directly across the street. That's the Conservatory of Flowers in San Francisco. That was kind of the same thing where the location fee for that place was $6,000 or something a day. But because it was going to be in a magazine that was I think that was also the Middle Eastern magazine. It was. They were willing to waive the fee as long as they got a mention in the magazine because they knew that if somebody wanted to rent this out for their wedding or for their mm -hmm. reception or whatever, that they would make their money back. So that is the concerning thing about magazines sort of going away is that that has been a great source of consideration and trade for us is if we shoot for a magazine that will give press to a nice, you know, a location that we want then they will allow us to shoot there for either cheap or free. Where if it's just a personal project, they're not letting me shoot there for free. That definitely is one of the good points of shooting for a magazine versus doing it as a personal project. What do you think is going to happen with the magazines? I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're just get, they're becoming fewer and fewer. And even the established magazines are paying less and less. If they're paying at all. <laughs> yeah. We talk about it a lot and I talk about it with a lot of people we work with where we're just bewildered and I don't know what will happen or what can happen. If everything is just about influencers, then are they the new magazines? And then you're going to be calling an influencer and ask if you can shoot for them. I, bizarre. And I don't, I don't understand. I don't know if anyone, I mean, I don't think anyone really does know. We're just sort of flying by the seat of our pants and seeing what sticks. But an interesting thing is the creative director that we worked with was telling us that he had done a lot of research on the subject and he found that no one could give any solid proof that the influencer model of advertising is really working. So you can pay $250,000 to an influencer to endorse your product, but if nobody buys it, then how long can that go on for? So 
It's a crazy world, yeah, but it's very interesting. Almost as crazy as your photography. So, can you explain to us,、uh, for example, how do you tell your stylist what do you want for a really crazy photo shoot? What about the makeup artist? Do you just want to get us behind the scenes of your process? Well, usually when I have an idea, I make a mood board that gives them the overall feel of the shoot and the location that I want to do or the set that I want to make, and then I usually browse the current shows. Giving a stylist references for things that are in no way available just doesn't work. So yeah, I have to think about okay, want the girls to wear be wearing you know all pink sheer outfits, but if I look at the shows and there's nothing like that, then I have to find something that would work within the realm of possibilities. Vogue.com has all the shows. You can screen captures of all the looks that you are interested in and send them to the stylist. And depending on What magazine it's for? They'll say whether or not you know certain magazines can get certain levels of designers, and other ones can't. So you have to sort of keep in mind. Realistically, you're not going to get head to toe Gucci if it's your cousin's magazine that they're running out of their garage. So I kind of usually start out with showing the stylist my ideal looks, and then they'll sort of go back and forth with me about what they think is realistic. And depending on the time of year, there are certain elements that play into what they think they can get. And then with hair and makeup, a lot of times I'll sort of do a preliminary casting of either the girl that I want or the girls that I want, and then back up other people that usually it's I know what type I'm looking for. It's usually not a specific model. It's more like I want a girl with red hair or a black girl with short hair or an Asian girl with blonde hair, whatever. So I'll give the hair and makeup people sort of the type of girl that I want and the type of hair and makeup that I'm interested in. And then once the stylist, the stylist really, other than myself, is the biggest deciding factor about where the shoot can go. Because if they cannot get what I'm looking for, or they need to steer it in a different direction, that will definitely affect the hair and makeup as well. There's a lot of moving parts, and you have to be willing to be a little bit negotiable because certain things, no matter how much I stomp my feet, and I literally was asking for this. Sheer pink jellyfish outfit, and the stylist was like, "Girl, it's not happening." <laughs> There's no current season item that fits that description, so you have to accept something else, or we have to make something. So, I start out with my ideals, and then I'm talked down from there. In other words, you have to be flexible. And what do you think are the rest of the qualities that a good and、um, I wouldn't even say an amazing photographer or a director must have? My favorite photographers and directors are very much, not surprisingly, storytellers and and showing you something that doesn't exist rather than this is a cool outfit.、Mm-hmm. So obviously Tim Walker, I am sure, comes up a lot, and、um, Camilla Akrins and Jeff Bark, people that are creating something that didn't actually exist before. That ability to show you a complete picture of something that doesn't actually exist and that is sort of Inferring something else, or inferring an atmosphere or a feeling, those are my favorites. So nice. And do you think that every photographer can become a director, or vice versa? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. I see a lot of videos by photographers where it's you know the camera's on a tripod and it's a girl shaking her hair and they do some effects on it. And I guess it depends on what you're using it for. If you're using it for an Instagram video showing. Shiny hair, then sure. But if you are telling a story or trying to weave a narrative, they don't equate to one another. Being good at capturing 
a moment in time is not the same as being good at telling a story over a period of time. Mm-hmm. There are people who are amazing photographers who I look at their work as, as stills and go, wow, that's really good. It looks beautiful and perfect. And then you watch their videos and you go, what happened? Like, how many forward and reverse effects can I watch? The girl's walking forward, the girl's walking backward. That is not a video. That's not to me a film or a video worth watching. If the person's famous enough, people will say that they like it, but I can't imagine anyone rewatching it. I know I had to ask you when you mention it because everybody is asking themselves right now. I'm quite sure. And I'm going to go back to our talk about the Dior photo shoot. How do you get sponsored by Dior? The magazine had a deal with Dior that they would feature everything in the editorial had to be Dior. They shipped us a huge case of all the stuff that we had to shoot to San Francisco, which I don't, I mean, I don't know if I should even be saying this, but they didn't want to ship it to the Airbnb where the crew was staying. They said they had to ship it to a nice hotel. So I had to rent a hotel room just for the clothes. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. When you have to buy a hotel room for the clothes. I said, can we just send it to the Dior store? You know, we'll pick it up there. And they said, no, that's not their job. So we had to rent a room for the clothes. And then the stylist was only allowed to use, she was not allowed to use even the latex gloves that she used, she got reamed for because they said, those aren't your, why are they in the photo shoot? Wow. Yeah. That's when you do the single brand shoots, sometimes they do kind of treat it like it's an ad campaign, but the problem is they're not paying like it's an ad campaign. So yeah. thank God the stylist did use the gloves because I feel like it brought to another level of aesthetic. I feel like had we just used the straight clothes, as beautiful as they were, it was lacking something. She's worse than me in in terms of having a sort of, for lack of a better term, uh, punk attitude about things. She'll just be like, F you and do it anyway. (laughs) We've gotten dresses wet. Stuff that when when you try to, when you tell a stylist you want to get something wet, usually they start breathing into a paper bag and complaining and saying that we have to use the cheapest dress on the rack and all this stuff. This girl is like, well, okay, we'll just have to take it to the dry cleaner after or whatever. (laughs) Like she's very willing to go the extra mile if it makes the picture better, which is kind of the same attitude that I have. So we had the stuff shipped and we had a set of rules and we ignored those rules, but it did make the cover of the magazine. So like as much as they were complaining that we broke the rules, they used it as a cover. So I can't really take it too harshly. Yeah, obviously they were kind of sort of happy. (laughs) Usually they cut the story if they really hate it and they don't put it on the cover. So Yeah, true. So you said that you pitched the idea, right? I pitched the concept, which was these sort of weird, vaguely, not geisha-ish, but I mean, their makeup is very pale. And I wanted this surreal, sort of distant character type of women wandering through the Japanese tea garden dressed alike. We went during spring when the cherry blossoms were blooming and we had one of the girls was sort of in a cherry blossom bush and the other girl was like laying by this koi pond. And I mean, it's, it's just, I love Japanese tea gardens and short of going to Kyoto, the one in San Francisco was the closest one. Turned out to be pretty easy going about allowing us to shoot there. Have you ever had a situation when you're pitching something and the client is completing your idea with somebody else? That has happened. I know other photographers who are very finicky and like scared of telling people their ideas for fear of somebody stealing them. But 
my general feeling on it is that I, I have so many ideas. They're coming out of my butt. So I'm not that, I don't treat them like treasures really. And I'm not super stingy with them. It sucks when somebody steals. And I've seen people do just horrible copies of my pictures before. But I have to believe that somebody that knows better at some point will see the difference and understand the difference between a hack job and somebody who actually came up with the idea and feels the idea. And I have to tell myself that. Otherwise, it'll be really sad. Sometimes people steal, but what are you going to do? And what about back clients, people that are okay with your idea and at the end they're like, it's not what I wanted. That happens. I feel like more than that, I get people that are just, they start chickening out. Like they'll agree. They always want to do it. They're super excited. Well, I guess what you mentioned with your client saying, well, all the backgrounds are nice, but this white wall is also beautiful. They start getting scared and thinking that having something average is better than possibly having something great or something terrible. Yeah. They want to just cover their butts and make sure that it looks okay. And we have had that. And the, the worst case of that happening was we were doing a commercial and it had a pretty good budget and we had plenty of time to prepare for it. But literally every day we would receive more creative direction from that agency that contradicted the previous. And it got to the point where the producers finally had to say, look, we're not even opening another PDF from you people because you guys are seem schizophrenic. You keep adding things like there's there's just no way to, you know, the day of the shoot start adding it was just continual. And the shoot came out horrible. I always go back in my head and think, like, what could I have done differently? But everyone that worked on it is like nothing. They were determined to sabotage it with this bizarre insistence that they can cover every base. We want glitzy, but also realistic. But all, like they, I felt like they thought if they listed enough adjectives, no matter how it came out, they could point the finger and say, if someone doesn't like it, it's, oh, well, we told her we wanted real, but we also we told her we wanted fantasy, but we also told her we wanted white, but we also said we wanted it black. But we also asked if it could be dark, but also light. At one point, one of the art directors was saying, because we did a commercial, but then we also did a still image for their print campaign. And she was saying, there can't be any shadows. We don't want shadows. And I was like, no shadows. Is that a rule now? Like, is that, do you, okay, so we're just going full on catalog. You just want a, a crisp representation of this dude's shirt because this has nothing to do with what we're selling. We're trying to sell a mood and an idea for a specific place and to continually focus on no shadows. Like, honestly, I said, okay, let's do, let's do a freaking, you know, catalog here, TJ Maxx, here we come. And she said, no, 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 never mind, never mind. And I was like, I should have just taken this horrible attitude from the beginning. As soon as I got bitchy was when she suddenly saw the light and wanted to step back and not interfere on every minute detail. But yeah, but what struck me with that is I felt like I was being set up as a scapegoat by them listing a million things. And if we couldn't interpret all of them into this one commercial, that somehow we were at fault. So it was it was terrible. It really was. I don't know what's wrong with people in shadows. No one wants shadows. <laughs> what in the hell? <laughs> yeah. How is that a negative thing? Yeah. Yeah. Let's have everything bright all the time. Great. I don't get it. Yeah. But anyways, obviously, that's what most of the clients want. Sometimes I get so frustrated by all these way too weird requests. 
And yes, I truly believe that you're right sometimes when you're too kind and people are ready to go over your head. Yeah. For example, once we were shooting a commercial, me and George, the editor, we were shooting a commercial for a client and he was totally okay with everything. And I was really nice. He saw the final result and he was like, yes, yes, I love it. We were thinking about every little detail, what the viewer can say, what they think, what they'll do next, and all these little very important stuff that sometimes your client is not even considering. And we made the commercial and he loved it. Three hours later, he didn't know that we are together. <laughs> <laughs> Three um, hours later, he's calling George and he's like, I told to this girl that I don't really love it because I talked to some of my coworkers and they have some concerns. And I was like, seriously, you're going to talk to him thinking that I'm not around? This is just so crazy. So I called him. He was suddenly fine with everything. <laughs> it was so weird. Yeah, sometimes it seems like in order to be some for certain people, some people are, you know, they understand and they're respectful. Definitely. Based on your history and other people are looking for someone to treat them poorly so that they know that they should respect that person. And I'm terrible at that. I'm like the most softy person in the world. And Julian's not much better. So we're always like, <laughs> damn, we're Californians, very easygoing and nice. And people sometimes interpret that as hey, let's go nuts on these people. Let's see what we can get away with. Nice doesn't mean stupid. So it's sometimes surprising for people when I eventually, and eventually I will snap at some point, but they're shocked because I, I really try to be understanding and, and see people's point of view up until a point. And then, yeah, it's sad. It's sad that it has to be that way, but I guess that's a universal experience. It's good because you're teaching yourself. For example, for the future, you know that. With these people, you should be very, yeah, bitchy. Sorry about the word. But <laughs> have you ever thought of going back to California? Yeah, we do go back and forth quite a lot. Not a lot, but shoots happen in LA fairly often. We do sort of miss it there. I think at some point we would like to get a place in LA just so that we can have like a small place there that when we're shooting there, we don't have to be in a hotel and we can also stay for an extended period of time, especially New York winters are really brutal and six months where it's just awful and cold. So we talk about it all the time. And I think that's probably in our future to have a California base and a New York base. And what else is in your future? I really want to do my feature film and I just love doing film and video. I feel like I've done so many still photo shoots and I, I love it. And I feel like it's it's still interesting to me, but I definitely feel like the next frontier is film. So nice. And I was wondering, do you have any final advices for the audience? The best advice that I've ever gotten was to just do what you really like and don't try to follow what you think will get work. I know photographers who have tried, oh, I'm going to do this now. Now, now I'm the location guy. Now I'm the headshot guy or whatever. They have these ideas of some kind of gimmick that's some, somehow going to make them stand out from the crowd. And all it ever really did was bury them further. Because I think on some level, people sensed that that wasn't really what they were interested in. Early in my career, I did try, I really did try to do, quote, normal pictures. And I'd say, oh, look, I can do, I can do clean, look at this. And it really, 
there was nothing wrong with it, but I think people, there are a million people who can do that well and that who genuinely like that. So why would someone hire somebody who's trying, gritting their teeth and trying to do something a certain way when there are other people who love natural looking pictures and are great at it and that's their thing and they love lifestyle or whatever. So just, yeah, following your heart and doing what you truly are interested in. And I think in a lot of cases, this this sounds really cynical, but like a lot of photographers that I've met are really just gearheads and they just love gear and they love lenses and computers and they're interested in pixels. And I think that's okay. I understand that that's something you're interested in, but that doesn't make a good photograph. The equipment only matters if you have something good to take a picture of. So getting super into having the latest, it doesn't really, I think, translate to good pictures. You know what? We are going to take this advice and all the endless knowledge that you shared with us. It was super amazing conversation. And I want to say big, big thank you. Oh, thank you. It was awesome talking to you. If this is the very first time you're listening to the Fashion Photography Podcast, you need to know that every Wednesday we're here with a guest. And every other Friday, I'm answering your questions and I'm giving you some tips and tricks. So guys, in case you have questions, Don't forget to go to the Fashion Photography Podcast Facebook group, link in the show notes, and overall, you just need to type the Fashion Photography Podcast, and then you'll see the group. And there, you can ask your questions, post your comments, share your struggles, and show us your amazing work. Don't forget to join us, because we are waiting for you. And the other thing that I cannot wait for is to see you here again on Friday. Friday.